Engaging presentations on the most urgent problem of our day and what you can do about it. Now, the End Abortion Podcast by Priests for Life. Happy Lord's Day, my friends. We have uh, changed our clocks, I guess, and we're live here at 10 a.m. Eastern Time at Priests for Life. Pro-Life leader Frank Pavone here, director of Priests for Life, and good morning to our regular crowd and uh, hopefully to a lot of new people, too. We always invite more of you to come and uh, pray with us. We want to pray for you so you can leave your comments, uh, your, your prayer intentions in the comments. We want to pray with you. We pray for our country. We pray for ourselves, our families, our church, our unborn brothers and sisters, the ones most in need, the ones most in danger. We pray for them today and we reflect on our duty to help them. And today we're going to reflect a little bit on the clergy. I have some things to say about the clergy inspired by the readings of today because Scripture has something to say about the clergy. So let's delve into prayer and the Word. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Father, we thank You for Your grace, for the call to faith, for the transfer from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light that You have accomplished in us by our baptism. We thank You for the forgiveness of sins. We repent of all our sins, even those that we don't remember, Lord God. Our sorrow extends beyond what our mind can reach, what our memory can reach. We look to the future. We are in You, a new creation. We look to today, to tomorrow. And we know, Lord God, that as we get up today and go about the business of this Lord's Day, it is not our enemies who get to decide what we're thinking about or how we're feeling or what we're doing. We decide. And we decide in the light of Your Word and in the power of Your grace. Let us live this day as free people, free in Your Spirit, free from our enemies, triumphing over evil, and serving one another, especially the poorest, those most in need, the unborn. Bless us today, Lord, with sober minds, pure hearts, strong relationships, and always your protection, joy, and peace through Christ our Lord. Amen. Let's go into these readings here today. A reading from the book of the prophet Malachi. A great king am I, says the Lord of hosts, and my name will be feared among the nations. And now, O priests, this commandment is for you. If you do not listen, if you do not lay it to heart, to give glory to my name, says the Lord of hosts, I will send a curse upon you, and of your blessing I will make a curse. You have turned aside from the way and have caused many to falter by your instruction. You have made void the covenant of Levi, says the Lord of hosts. I therefore have made you contemptible and base before all the people, since you do not keep my ways, but show partiality in your decisions. Have we not all the one Father? Has not the one God created us? Why then do we break faith with one another, violating the covenant of our fathers? The Word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. 
In you, Lord, I have found my peace. In you, Lord, I have found my peace. O Lord, my heart is not proud, nor are my eyes haughty. I busy not myself with great things, nor with things too sublime for me. In you, Lord, I have found my peace. Nay, rather, I have stilled and quieted my soul like a weaned child. Like a weaned child on its mother's lap, so is my soul within me. In you, Lord, I have found my peace. O Israel, hope in the Lord, both now and forever. In you, Lord, I have found my peace. A reading from the first letter of St. Paul to the Thessalonians. Brothers and sisters, we were gentle among you, as a nursing mother cares for her children. With such affection for you, we were determined to share with you not only the gospel of God, but our very selves as well. So dearly beloved had you become to us. You recall, brothers and sisters, our toil and drudgery, working night and day in order not to burden any of you. We proclaimed to you the gospel of God. And for this reason we too give thanks to God unceasingly, that in receiving the word of God from hearing us, you received not a human word, but as it truly is, the word of God which is now at work in you who believe. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. The Gospel reading this morning is from the Gospel of St. Matthew. Jesus spoke to the crowds and said to his disciples, The scribes and the Pharisees have taken their seat on the chair of Moses. Therefore, do and observe whatsoever they tell you but do not follow their example. For they preach, but they do not practice. They tie up heavy burdens hard to carry and lay them on people's shoulders, but they will not lift a finger to move them. All their works are performed to be seen. They widen their phylacteries and lengthen their tassels. They love places of honor at banquets, seats of honor in synagogues, greetings in marketplaces, and the salutation rabbi. As for you, do not be called rabbi. You have but one teacher, and you are all brothers. Call no one on earth your father. You have but one father in heaven. Do not be called master. You have but one master, the Christ. The greatest among you must be your servant. Whoever exalts himself will be humbled, but whoever humbles himself will be exalted. St. Paul, in another passage, as he writes to the Corinthians, points out the gifts that God gives for the building up of His body, the church. Now, these are different gifts from the ones He gives to us individually for us to be holy. The transforming supernatural gifts of faith and hope and love and other virtues and graces He gives us for ourselves to be obedient to the Word of God. There are graces given to, for the individual to be made holy. And then there are other graces and gifts given 
for the individual to minister to the body of Christ and to build it up. I always remember, and you may have heard me say at times, uh, the quote from Archbishop Fulton Sheen when somebody praised his preaching. And they said, well, you, 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 you're such an inspiring preacher, you must be holy. And he said, no, 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 don't, don't mistake a gift given to me for the building up of the body as a gift of, uh, uh, that, that makes me holy. That, that's not the same thing. Clergy could have marvelous gifts. Teaching, Paul says that's one of the gifts. Teaching, the Word of God. Preaching, administration, hospitality. But it doesn't mean they're holy. What, 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 what matters to holiness, are you obeying the Word that you're preaching? That's a different thing. And Jesus shows the difference in this gospel, doesn't He? Scribes and Pharisees, they're on the chair of Moses. So you have respect for the chair, you have respect for the office. Listen to what they're telling you. If they're telling you the law of Moses, follow it. Because that has to do with your relationship with God. But they themselves aren't following that word. They're not giving the example. They should be. And this, this contrasts with what Paul is saying to the Thessalonians here. We were sharing with you the gospel of God. Notice, it's not the gospel of Father John or Bishop James. It's the gospel of God. But we were also sharing our very selves. We were following that gospel. We were practicing what we preach because we were giving ourselves away to you. We were coming into solidarity with you. We loved you. In toil and drudgery, we... we Notice he says, this is exactly the opposite of what Jesus accuses the scribes and Pharisees of in the gospel. Because he, Paul says, we worked day and night in order not to burden any of you. And Jesus says the scribes and Pharisees, they were burdening the people, and they weren't lifting a finger to help them to live the word that they preached. Paul, in contrast, says, yes, we were with you, hand in hand, heart to heart, shoulder to shoulder. And yet at the same time, Paul is grateful that the Thessalonians could make the distinction between the word that they were preaching, which is of God, and the preacher who was preaching it. There's a distinction. The preacher carries that word and therefore has a heavy responsibility, but is not the origin of that word, didn't create that word, and therefore cannot change that word. We've talked about this many times together. God set up the priests even in the Old Testament, those that were offering the sacrifices, right? And there were also the prophets that preached the word of the, of the Lord. But here he's sending a curse upon the priests. You have made void the covenant of Levi. You have turned aside and have caused many to falter by your instruction. You can apply that to a few people today. And then he says, you, you know, you're, being, you're being partial in your decisions. You're favoring some people over others. We have one Father. Now here's where the first reading here from Malachi corresponds perfectly with the Gospel. When Jesus says you have one Father, you have one Teacher, you have one Master, He's saying, yes, although gifts have been given to the church to build up the body of Christ, and some are designated as teachers, do not confuse those teachers, do not confuse those leaders with your one teacher who is Christ, with your one master who is God. All the rest are learners. So the preacher of the Word is under the Word. 
not the source of the word. He's teaching only what he has received, because that's all that we're supposed to teach. What we receive in the gospel handed on to us. One father, one teacher. Now, this leads us to some reflections that are extremely important. Church leaders are servants of the gospel and of the people to whom they preach. They're not masters. And this is to realize this and to practice this is a challenge not only for the clergy, but for the people they serve. There is a sin of clericalism. And I'll read to you a good explanation of it in a moment. But that's a sin that's not only committed by the clergy, some clergy. Others, there are many who have the great example of the kind of humility and self-giving love that Paul speaks to the Thessalonians about. But there are a lot of others who are worthy of the rebuke that Jesus gives here to the scribes and Pharisees or the rebuke that Malachi gives to the priests who were showing partiality and serving themselves rather than the Word. And clericalism... Well, let me read. This is a book by Russell Shaw. I haven't talked about it in a while, but I have talked about it a lot. It's called Nothing to Hide, Secrecy, Communication, and Communion in the Catholic Church. Now, he outlines a problem that I think is is most pronounced within the Catholic Church, but it exists in other places too. But, But he was the communications director for the U.S. bishops, so he worked for the bishops. This is not an enemy of the bishops. He worked for them in, in, um, in uh, communications. He talks about clericalism. And uh, let me read this paragraph. By clericalism, I mean an elite mindset together with structures and patterns of behavior corresponding to it that takes it, now listen carefully, brothers and sisters, takes it for granted that clerics in the Catholic context, mostly bishops and priests, are intrinsically superior to the other members of the church and deserve automatic deference. Let's let those who have ears hear. Let's listen to this carefully. That they are intrinsically superior and deserve automatic deference. Passivity and dependency are the laity's lot. And by no means is clericalism confined to clerics themselves. The clericalist mindset is widely shared by Catholic lay people. Automatic deference. In other words, whatever decision they make, it's right, it must be right, it must be followed, it cannot be questioned. How many times have you heard about a decision from a bishop or a priest and not been given any reason for the decision. Now some people might say, oh, but they don't have to give a reason. Oh, oh, really? Whether they have to or not is one question. Whether they should is another. Whether respect for the people that they serve might suggest that giving a a reason would maybe better portray the kind of humility that these scripture readings are talking about should be displayed by the preachers of the word, or this self-giving attitude that Paul talks to the 
Thessalonians about. So dearly beloved had you become to us. You recall, brothers and sisters, our toil and drudgery, working day and night in order not to burden any of you as we proclaimed you the gospel of God. Can you see Paul making a decision in terms of something relating to the gospel or the life of the church and then saying, oh, well, you don't need, you don't have to, uh, I don't have to give you any reason for it. But does it seem like the same mindset? There's a passage in Lumen Gentium, that is the official name of the, of the Second Vatican Council's document, about the church. The dogmatic constitution on the church. In other words, this is the church speaking about her understanding of who she is. Now listen to this. There is one chosen people of God, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, according to Ephesians. There is a common dignity of members deriving from their rebirth in Christ. Now listen to this. This is the Second Vatican Council. corresponds to what I was just telling you in other words. It says, Although by Christ's will some are established as teachers, dispensers of the mysteries, that is the sacraments, and pastors for the others, there remains nevertheless a true equality between all with regard to the dignity and to the activity which is common to all the faithful in building up the body of Christ. So some have special gifts, again, for the purpose of building up the body. But we all have gifts for building up the body. We all have to give witness to the faith and encourage one another in the ways of the faith. And we are all sinners and we all make mistakes. So there's an equality in what? There's an equality in our accountability to the Word of God those who preach it are no less accountable to it than those who hear it. There's an accountability in our personal dignity and our call to holiness and our demand for respect. And there is a commonality in our being sinners. We all say the act of contrition every day. We all have to repent of our sins every day. This is quite a good passage. And clericalism is the opposite of is the opposite of this. Oh, they're always right. Oh, they should never be questioned. Garbage. And you know what else, is, what else is a corollary to this, and not to make too much reference to my own situation, but I see it happening, where because some people in the church don't like me and my ministry and haven't liked it for decades, others give automatic deference to that, follow along like like, I don't know, mindless imitators without knowing a single thing about why they're following along. If somebody in the church rejects somebody else, as some have rejected me and my work, does that mean that just because they're clerics, just because they're priests, just because they're bishops, other people need to join in that same kind of attitude? Without knowing any reason? I mean, if I had, if I had killed somebody then everybody should join in, in, in renouncing that particular sin. But even there, I mean, you know, is there any such thing as repentance? Standing up. Though your sins be like scarlet, they may become white as snow. You are a new creation in Christ and moving forward. But even so, 
Somebody rejects somebody else. Oh, oh therefore, um, um, oh, okay, so um, I don't know why. I don't know why. Now, there are groups that we legitimately exclude. Bishops have made it clear, for example, Catholics for choice. If, if you hear a bishop say, Catholics for choice are not allowed in our parish, or in our diocese, they cannot speak in our parishes. Would you know the reason for that? Is it clear what the reason for that is? I think so. They reject the church's teaching on life. They're for killing babies. Not going to let Catholics for choice. Not only, it's two problems here. Number one, they, 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 they believe in the killing of babies. And number two, they, they try to make the case that that's somehow consistent with Catholicism. It's not consistent with Catholicism, with Christianity, with the Word of God, or with basic human dignity. It's barbaric. So, of course, we're not going to let Catholics for choice into the parishes and the diocese. But there's a reason that we understand. Oh, we don't want priests for life, and we don't want Father Frank here in this parish or in this diocese. Okay, so some of them say that. Listen, I don't even know the reason. But some of them say that, and then... Others follow along. No. Oh, is that what you said? Oh, you can't possibly be wrong. All right, so what's the reason? I don't know. His bishop said he's not allowed. I don't know the reason. I don't know the reason. Listen, we have a right to know the reason. And if nobody's telling you the reason, maybe you ought to hold off until somebody does. Because then, without that, anybody in the church can harm anybody else's reputation without having to have any, any accountability whatsoever to the truth. What if somebody lies about somebody? Now, I'm rejecting this person just because I don't like them. Or... or, or uh, I, I, I don't agree with his politics, or I have some kind of, some kind of uh, vengeance I want to take against them, personal, personal animosity. Are we supposed to adopt the personal animosity of our priests and bishops? Think about this for a minute. Your priest, your bishop, and again, listen, there's many good ones out there. I know them. I'm grateful for them. But your priest and bishop has a personal animus against somebody. It's totally personal, let's say, just for the sake of argument. Oh, I don't, want, I don't want John in this parish. I don't want anybody in this parish associating with John. Oh, okay, Father, I respect your authority. Bishop, I respect your authority. John is not supposed to give any presentations in the diocese. We can respect that. We have to respect that. But what's the reason? Did he teach something contrary to the faith? What's the reason? What's the reason? Let me go back to Russell Shaw. This guy was the communications guy for the U.S. bishops. So he says here, internal communication within the church. Again, it's a statement from the uh, Lumen Gentium, that same document. To the pastors of the church, the laity should disclose their needs and desires. With that liberty and confidence which befits children of God and brothers in Christ, 
By reason of the knowledge, competence, or preeminence which they have, the laity are empowered and indeed sometimes obliged to manifest their opinion on those things which pertain to the good of the church. Okay. And then, legitimate exercise of the rights of public opinion within the church. Catholics have similar stories to tell. Sometimes it may get results, but all too often, even the most intelligent, polite, and well-reasoned letters are ignored by people in positions of authority who evidently feel they are not answerable to the people of the church. And listen, I didn't write this book. This was written by the communications direct for the United States bishops, Russell Shaw. And he says, hey, we got a problem here. We're not being honest with one another within the church. We're not communicating honestly and openly and with respect for one another. And without that, without that honest communication, without the sense that maybe there's some kind of accountability of the shepherds of the church to their people, that maybe if they make a decision, which especially some people can scratch their heads about or be hurt by, like many people were hurt by the decisions they made about me, don't we deserve an explanation? I mean, ordinary human interaction says yes. If you're a cult, you say no. And I'm increasingly concerned that some of the behavior of some of the clergy is more like a cult than the community of Christ's disciples that the church herself describes herself as being. Uh, we got a lot to pay attention to here, friends. And the readings of today suggest to us that, no, we don't give automatic deference to the clergy. We're not doing the clergy any favors when we put them on pedestals and think that they, there's some, uh, like, like, uh, like the Second Vatican Council says, some intrinsic superiority over the other people of God. Um, we are all one in Christ Jesus. Let's humbly obey the word, because as Paul said to the Thessalonians, it's the word of God, not the word of human beings. The message you get in the pulpit today is not Father John's message or Father Jim's message. It should be the message of Jesus Christ. The message you get from me should be the teaching of, of Jesus Christ. It should be able to be proved against the word of God and the teachings of his church, not subject to one's personal interpretation. Let's turn to the Lord and pray. Father, we have much to pray about today. First of all, Lord God, we know that there are many clergy who have been irresponsible with the Word of God. There are many clergy that have made decisions that they have not given adequate explanations for, or they don't even know the explanations for them in their own mind. They just follow others like blind sheep, and therefore they've hurt the reputations of others. They've excluded others without cause, and they've literally taken part in the, in, the, in the animosity that some others have against other members of the church, and they mindlessly follow that animosity. They mindly, mindlessly imitate that rejection. Lord God, we pray for them today. Wake them up. Lord God, wake them up and steady their hearts and put them on the right track and give them a little bit of consideration, respect, and care for their flock. So, so also, Lord, we pray 
that those who are faithfully proclaiming the word of God and receiving all kinds of rejection and persecution for it will be kept faithful. Lord God, we pray today in a particular way on the matter of abortion for Ohio. Lord God, the voting is going on. Monday and then Tuesday and then that's it. And then we get the verdict. We're going to get the verdict Tuesday night provided all the ballots are counted. And we're going to see whether Ohio is going to be forced into a position of allowing all kinds of abortion contrary to the will of the people. Lord God, we pray that this issue one, which is no less than a demonic, destructive, imposition into the Ohio Constitution of a fake and invented and dangerous right that was never there anywhere in the history of the Ohio Constitution or anywhere in the history of the nation ends up getting forced into it with all the bloodshed and destruction that follows. Lord God, prevent issue one from coming into being in Ohio. Let your people this weekend rise up and determined to go out and vote against it. Father, we pray uh, not only for this victory in Ohio, but for pro-life victories everywhere. There are many other elections taking place this Tuesday. We ask for pro-life victory after pro-life victory. Lord God, wake your people up. And bless and protect us, Lord, as we pray with you today. We lift up all the intentions of our brothers and sisters who have expressed those intentions in the comments. Bless them, Lord. Give them what they need. Give us what we need in the church. Leadership that is strong, clear, faithful, and holy. We pray now as Jesus taught us. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. And forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory, forever and ever. Amen. We pray to our Heavenly Mother, Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. Glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and will be forever. Amen. I see your comments here, and you know people are talking about me being a priest forever, and, and thank you for that. And you know, I, by the way, I, I'm going to do another update. I haven't done an update in a while. I'll do another special broadcast one of, one of these coming days. But I just made sure over this weekend that I knew the revised, in 2023, the church slightly revised the formula for absolution. You know, when a priest absolves you of your sins in, in confession, those of you who are Catholic experience this, he has a special, the, the, the prayer he has to say is prescribed by the church. He has to use the exact words. So I made sure that I um, had memorized the new wording for that prayer of absolution. Not too different from what it was before, but it's slightly different. Why did I, why did I memorize that? I'm not that fu- supposed to function as a priest anymore. And of course, I'm abiding by the uh, restrictions that have been, been placed there. But the reason I memorized the new formula of absolution is that I might need to use it. Do you realize, right, that even if a priest is 
is laicized. If there's an emergency and someone's in danger of death and they want confession and there's no other priest around, even a laicized priest is obliged at that moment to tend to the spiritual needs of that person and to give them absolution. So I would be, I'm obliged to know what that formula of absolution is, committed to memory, and be ready to use it. Now, can, 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 can a lay person that's never been ordained do that? Of course not. They'd be, they themselves would be committing a wrong act to, to impersonate a priest or to act, like a, act as a priest when they're not. But someone who has been ordained to the priesthood, as so many of you are saying, you're a priest forever. And I have to exercise that sacramental ministry if the situation arises, as it could arise any day. Someone's in danger of death and there's no other priest around. So, um, yeah. So we have some important truths that we're living. Another thing, uh, I was yesterday at a great meeting right here in Florida of Florida pro-life leaders. I want to give a, a shout out to the, uh, the many groups that were that were there, and we had a very good meeting um, in regard to a um, uh, pro-abortion initiative, just like this initiative in Ohio is being uh, voted on. Uh, so the um, the one in in Florida, it's not, it hasn't made it yet through the approval process to be on the ballot. And fortunately, it's harder in Florida to do this than it is in Ohio. Um, but let's pray. Uh, and let's, uh, let's make sure that this uh, doesn't uh, succeed in the state of, uh, of Florida. So good meeting yesterday of leaders right here. I'll be going to the March for Life in Michigan. Um, I'll be flying up there. Tomorrow will be an office day. I'll be flying up to Michigan Tuesday night. So you'll see some social media posts from me from Michigan on Wednesday when the pro-life people gather together in March for Life. Please make sure that you are subscribed to me on social media. And uh, it's at FR Frank Pavone on all the major platforms, at FR Frank Pavone. So thank you for joining me for this time of Scripture. God bless you. God bless your day and this Lord's Day. And we will talk to you again tomorrow. Hello, this is Father David Begany. Like many priests, I am inspired and always learning from the Ministry of Priests for Life, which is one of the largest and most visible pro-life organizations in the world. This ministry relies on your financial support to be able to do its work, produce its programs, and travel the world to advocate for the unborn. May I ask you to support Priests for Life generously? Go today to prolifegift.org and give as generous a gift as you can. Thank you so much, and be assured of our daily prayers for you. Priests for Life is an extraordinarily fine group, uh, and I, I don't say that in order to um, make anybody feel better or flatter anyone. Uh, it's, an, it's an unusual and a very unique group in that most of the priests whom I have encountered across this country and indeed around the world are shy away 
from the subject of abortion. They somehow want to keep it under the rug and only pull it out when they're ordered to. Uh, in my own experience as a Catholic convert for the last several years, um, I've attended a great many masses and listened to a great many homilies, and I think, believe in three years I've listened only to one homily on the subject of abortion, and that was here in St. Patrick's Cathedral. Other than that, priests seem not to want to talk about it. And Priests for Life is the Paul Revere of this whole gestalt, that priests for life are riding around trying to galvanize the rest of the clergy into getting engaged in what is one of the most appalling revolutions of the 20th century. And I am uh, enormously grateful to them and admire their work enormously, but unfortunately I believe that there are not enough, that priests for life should be should have a staff 20 times what it has now. This has been the End Abortion Podcast. To learn more, to help end abortion, and to connect with us on social media, visit endabortion.net.